Can you hear me now? I do not recall a time when I've been in meetings and so consistently led to the throne in worship. And I am grateful. I mean, I just forgot my microphone. I don't even know what I'm preaching. I looked at Joey when, where, where did he go? Where's, where, I, lost, I looked at Joey when, when Mary Lard finished and I said, can I preach now? He goes, no, we're going home. And he came up here and said the same thing to you. <laughs> said, Fair enough. You know, I thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you entire team. Y'all are, y'all are just something else. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19 for a few minutes tonight. And, uh, Let's read through this passage. We're going to start in verse 16. This is an intriguing passage of Scripture. I look forward to spending time in it with you. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors yourself. I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me but when the young man heard this he went away sad for he had many possessions then Jesus said to his disciples I tell you the truth it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, I'll say it again it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God and the disciples were astounded then who in the world can be saved they asked Jesus looked at them intently and said humanly speaking it is impossible but with God everything is possible we back up and look at this passage we look at it verse by verse and we just start there in verse 19 or verse 16 excuse me Let's give the old boy credit. One, he's asking a question that everybody has answered in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Everybody has some kind of belief about the afterlife, if there is one, if there isn't one, something. If you ask people, what do you think will happen when you die? A few people will go, you you rot in the ground, that's it. But you know what? Most people have an idea. Most people have some idea. And most people, uh, let's be fair, it's contrived in their mind. It's contrived in their mind. This guy, it, it, he, he, boy, he does the right thing. He goes to Jesus for the answer to the question. Let's give him credit to begin with because he comes to Jesus with this question. It's an age-old question. He's not the first person to come to Jesus with this question. He will not be the last person to come to with Jesus with this question. And it's good for all of us to come to Jesus with this question. What good deed? must I do to have eternal life a lot of folks though don't come to Jesus for that answer a lot of people 
Well, I think... Well, I, you know, I believe... Well, you know, what I think is and what I believe is and what I've been told is and whatever. And when you ask them, where did the foundation for the answer of your question come from? Well, it's just what I think. So you're God. Well, no. Well, then how are you going to get there from here, wherever there is? Well, I just think it's like this or I think it's like that. Well, where is the foundation for that? Where is the, what is the source if there is eternal life, there has to be an agent that transfers us from this to that. Elsewise, I'd be out of here. Anybody else? There's really nothing I need to do this evening. Once I get done with you, I'm going home home. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm like, I mean, if there's some way to go ahead and just step into eternity... Um, I, I like what I do. I love what I do. I like where I live. I looked at it during the, when the praise team was in here rehearsing. I like to come in here with them and just kind of worship and stand back there and just sing my guts out and have a good time. And I checked the weather in Salmon, Idaho. It was 80 degrees and the heat index was 77. And the humidity was brutal. It was about 23%. Pray for my hometown. These folks are suffering. I mean, I, got, I, I, it, I, I, my life is good, but this world's a mess, and it's tiresome. And if there was some way just to go on to eternity, I, I'm, I'm checking out, man. If I get the keys to that car, I'm driving it. There has to be some agent to transfer us from this life to eternity. It can't just be, well, I'll tell you what I believe. Or I tell you what I think. Or I tell you what I've always heard. There has to be a foundation underneath that truth. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So this guy starts great. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And let's face it, most of the world's, world's religions, that's the system. The system is what I can do. I'm surrounded by people in the culture I live in in the Intermountain West who are working their way towards their eternity. You've got folks around you who believe that. The Muslim world believes that as long as the scale tips just a little bit in favor, if they can do just enough good, just enough good to tip the scales, that's what it takes. Most of the world believes that there's a good deed, another good deed, something else they can do to get them into some kind of afterlife, some kind of eternal life. This guy comes to Jesus. What good deed must I do? In the next verse, Jesus answers the question kind of twice. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. Let's stop right there. Why are you asking me about what's good? There's one that is good. Dot, dot, dot. And it's not you. 
but I'm a good person. No, you're not. No, you're not a good person. I mean, I might think you're a good person. I'm not the judge. I may think you're a marvelous person. I'm not the judge. You may be, as my associate pastor reminds me every now and then, I'm a catch. And, and he tells me that every now and then, just like I'm blessed to be able to work with him. He'll go, hey, I'm delightful. I'm a catch. But, but there's only one who is good, and you're not him. You're not him. There is only one God. There's only one. Jesus, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one that is good. Well, see, I believe if you're just a good person, you're, but you're not. There's only one of those, and you're not him. Just that easy. Do you see how much lousy theology is dispelled in just a couple of sentences at the start of this passage here? I love it that, that God, in his infinite wisdom, thousands over thousands of years ago, gave us this word, and he speaks so clearly to every false thought and religion and spiritual ideal that's in the world today. It was in the world then, it's in here now, and he's spoken to it. He's spoken to it because you've got friends and neighbors that say, well, I believe you're just a good person. Jesus says, well, you're not. It's hard to break it to your neighbor that way. Well, I believe you're just a good person. Well, look, buddy, you're not. But, but you know what? We do a disservice if we don't. We're not being impolite. We're being faithful to God. We're doing them a great injustice if we don't tell them that there's only one way and that being a good person isn't going to get it and it's not going to cut it. This room is full of people who appear to be good people. But if the standard is perfect, you don't pass. You don't pass. And that's the standard. Perfection. There's only one. You're not him. But let me go ahead and answer the question, Jesus says. But, literally, to answer your question, if you want to, keep, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Well, that sounds reasonable. And Jesus is not dodging the question here. If you were to keep all the commandments of God, you can go straight to heaven. No problem. How's that working for you? Anybody? Anybody? If you think it's working pretty good, just reach over and nudge your wife and say, don't you think I'm doing pretty good with that? By the way, that works back and forth well. Yeah. Yeah, that works back and forth well. See, here's the problem with thinking I can do something or thinking I can be good or I thinking I can be enough good. And it's in the very next words in verse 18. We're going to look at verse 18 and 19. Which one? See, he's still looking for something to do. Keep the commandments. Which one? Which ones? Because I need to make sure I can check the list of all the things I need to do, Scott. That's what that is. Which ones, the man asked. And, and Jesus is gracious here. Now, what the man's looking for is a cutoff. 
That's what he's looking for. He's looking for the minimum. He's looking for the minimum. I don't want to overshoot this thing. I just want to do just enough, you know, because I know, I, I mean, I know I'm not going to keep all the law. Let's be honest. So which ones? Because the, the, the righteous people of the day, the religious leaders had a list and it was graduated from top to bottom. And by the time you get to the, to the lesser laws, I mean, it was ridiculous stuff, but it's impossible. And he's going, surely I don't have to keep it all, do I? And Jesus answers with what I call the relational side. The Ten Commandments are all relational, okay? They're our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And he answers with the relational to one another questions. Oh, you know, you must not murder. How many times have you heard that? Are you a good person? Well, I never killed anybody. Well, that one's at the top of our list. That's, well, good for you. I mean, wow. That's awesome. I mean, you're amazing. You are, I mean, it, I mean that you're just, I mean, that ought to be good enough. Well, I never killed anybody. Don't murder. Must not commit adultery. That one's a little tougher. You must not steal. A lot of us have done that when we were four or five years old at the grocery store. You must. You know you did. How many of you got in trouble for taking something at a store one time when you were little? How many? Come on. Oh, be real. Thank you. Thank you. See? Going to hell right there. <laughs> because we all are without Jesus Christ. We've identified this room's a rough crowd. Bunch of thieves. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Well, now, never mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, this list gets tougher as you go down. Can we just go back to I've never killed somebody? You know? And, and the guy in verse 20, he says something kind of silly. I've obeyed all of these commandments. There must have been somebody in the crowd, maybe one of the disciples that was saying he was not at that Sermon on the Mount thing. Because if he had been, he would not have just said that out loud to Jesus. He would not have just said, I've kept all of these. Matthew 5. I didn't give you guys these verses, so don't flip out. Just hang on with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, 22. You've heard it said that our ancestors were told you must not murder. Remember that? No, I've not killed anybody. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call them an idiot in traffic, you are in danger of being... Because we have. Now, I know that was a cheap shot, what I just did. But we laugh at that. And God doesn't. God just doesn't. If you say, Raka, you fool. Let me tell you something. We're just talking about it, Wes. 24-hour news cycle is constantly proclaiming the other side. Doesn't matter if it's a conservative side 
or the liberal side, they're constantly declaring the other side as fools. It's at the heart of our culture. We're killing one another. We're killing one another. Jesus says you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So a minute ago we said, I've never killed anybody. How many would raise your hand now? Now we, we put our hands in our pockets now. Matthew 5, 27, 28. You've heard the commandment, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I've kept all of those, he said. In verse 20. Turns out. He hasn't kept all of those and neither have you and neither have I. All have sinned and come short of God's glorious standard. All. All. That's you, that's me, that's this guy. But listen to the person who's in this works theology. See, he's already asked two questions and as Jesus answers, he's like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm getting, you know, okay, what, what? I've kept all of these. I've obeyed all of these young men. What else? Because see, in that works idea, in that I can do this thing, in that this is what I think, and this is what I believe, and this is what, and there's no foundation to it, you know what, there's an emptiness. There's never any satisfaction, because there's no grace you always need something else. You always need something more. You always need to pay for something you've done since then. I mean, we've come to church now. Some of you have been here. It's is today Tuesday. Some of you have been to church four times in three days. You are doing amazing. Scott, I, I tell you what, my walk with the Lord's better if I preach every day. Just telling you, my walk with the Lord is better if I preach every day. Yeah, yeah. Thursday morning, I'm going to get in the vehicle. I'm going to drive to East Tennessee. From East Tennessee, I'm going to drive to Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm going to call somebody an idiot along the way. I'm going to be an idiot somewhere along the way. Anybody? Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah, let's just... I'm not saying that to say, hey, and you too should be that. Well, I'm just saying that's, <laughs> we're back where we've been. We're broken, messy people. What else? What else? Because see, without any foundation to my salvation and without any sure plan, without any agent to take me from here to eternal life, I got to make sure I'm doing everything and there's an emptiness and there's a hollowness because I never feel like there's enough and I'm never sure if it's enough and, 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 <laughs> If I think about it much, well, I'm just not even going to church because I don't want to think about that. If I think about it much, and I only want to talk about it because if I think about it much, man, I'm just not even sure about all this stuff because there's no foundation under it as long as we're saying, what must I do? What must I do? What can I do? 
I just believe, or I just think, or I've been told. He knows it's not a work, enough. He knows there's no security in his own doing. He knows that. So in verses 21 and 22, Jesus exposes the man's heart. He helps the man see his own condition. Jesus told him, hey, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus knew the young man's heart. Jesus knew his heart. And he exposed his heart right here. And you know what his problem was? He had not kept the commandments because he had another God. He had another God. Turns out you've not kept the commandments at all, buddy. Because the young man heard this and he went away sad because he had so many possessions. He was an American, you understand. How many of you have traveled outside of this country? How many of you, the first time you traveled outside of this country, said, wow. How many of you, like, gave away all your clothes and your suitcase, too, and came home wearing what you could? That's exactly what I did the first time. I mean, I had, like, a little shave kit almost. I'm like, y'all can have the rest of this stuff. I'm leaving, man. <laughs> I was hurt. <laughs> We're not going to get into this conversation on who's rich and who's not because... We're going to find out in this conversation right here that there's more to it than that. But this fella had another God. He's going to try to work his way into eternity while having another God. What is it that's in your life that stands between you and Jesus and what you'll do for him? What is it in your life? Now, we, 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 listen, we don't live in a culture, and this guy wasn't in that situation. Th this guy didn't have a little carved idol. You know, there wasn't a little calf. There wasn't some kind of fertility thing that's, that's carved out to remind him of what his God was. His God was in the mini storage because he didn't have enough stuff room at the house for all his stuff. Right? The city where my son lives has, I don't know, the median house right now is over $300,000. And the city council has put a moratorium on building mini storages because they got to get a handle on it. And nothing wrong with having a mini storage. Please don't, I'm not preaching against mini storages here tonight, okay? Please understand me. But this guy had all this stuff. And all this stuff was more important to him than a relationship with God. It doesn't have to be stuff. Your kid's sport can be more, more important than you, to you than a relationship with God. And, man, I don't blame you because they got like a 1.2% chance of going to college doing that. You go. Your kid's ballet could be more important to you than, you know, 
some of you are sitting here going, my kids are grown. I don't have to worry about that anymore. You got grandkids, and that's even worse. I know I have one. That's money you want to spend, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll just write that check, slide that card, whatever. There's all kinds of things. I'm not even going to begin to name the things that become a God for us instead. This guy's heart is exposed. It's not even just about doing the right things. It's about the fact that he's got another God, and that's impossible because our sovereign king demands that he is one and that we worship him and we worship him alone. And the fellow went away sad. He went away sad. Look at the next couple of verses there. Verses 23 and 20 through 26. Look at this. <clears throat> Verses 23 through 26. We're coming. I promise we are. I know they're, I know they're up there. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. That is a better question. Listen to this. From what we know about the disciples, they're not necessarily a wealthy group of guys. We want to stop up there at that verse before we get to the disciples. And we want to go, boy, those rich people, it's tough. And then we want to define rich. How many of you have been out of this country again? Based on those hands going up right now, we're in a room full of rich people. How many of you chose which breakfast food you were going to have today? I did. I chose a cream horn from Walmart. I didn't say that was good. That's dessert, but that's what I had. I rode a bicycle 16 miles. Don't judge me. We live in a culture where we have varieties of food for different meals. And we think, well, I don't have that. That's breakfast meal. That's well, it's lunch. Well, I don't have that. It's, it's dinner. And it's, it's Man, there's, there's people all over this world that are, that are having, that they, they get up this morning and they work today for the one meal they're going to have. And they don't have a choice. It's the same thing they had last night. And if they get it again tomorrow night, it'll be the same thing again. And they're happy to have that meal. You can read and you have books in your home. Well, just that qualifies you to be wealthy by most of the world's standards. So let's, let's get over trying to figure out who's wealthy and who's not. But let's recognize the people who heard this first, the disciples, were astounded by it. And they're not necessarily a wealthy group of people. They're astounded by what Jesus says. And in their astound, astonishment, they whisper, who can be saved? Who can be saved? And there's a sound of concern in their voices. They weren't sitting here going, well, 
you know, according to the tax returns, what's rich and what's not? They were saying, who can be saved? The reality is, none of us deserve it. Not a one of us deserves it. Not a one of us deserves it. Who can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. What must I do to receive eternal life? There's the answer to the question. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. We have come all the way through this passage, and now we're answering the original question. What can I do? What good deed can I do? What thing of merit can I do? What are the actions? What are the works? What commands? What can I do to receive eternal life? Humanly speaking, it is impossible. You can't do it. You weren't born Baptist enough. You weren't born good enough. You weren't born in the right country. You weren't born with the right pedigree somehow. Humanly speaking, impossible. Well, but I believe impossible. Yeah, but I think impossible. Humanly impossible. Say that with me. Humanly impossible. Did I get that across? But with God, everything is possible. That means you weren't born too bad. <laughs> that means you weren't born in the wrong country. That means you're not the right, wrong skin tone. That means you're not the wrong hair color. That means you're not the wrong uh, 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 social strata. Uh, or, that means, uh, there's a, with God, all things, everything is possible. It's even possible for me to be saved. It is possible for me to go to heaven. It is possible for me to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of this universe, and to have eternal life. And it means it's possible for you too. Not just some. We've been talking this afternoon, some of us. My associate pastor worked among Muslims in Amsterdam. I mean, if you watch the news, I mean, goodness gracious, those Muslims. But you know, there are places in the world where God's working among the Muslims and the revival there looks a lot better than it does here. I'd kind of like to have some of the movement of God that some of the Muslim nations are seeing. Lord, bring it. Lord, please. Because with God, everything's possible. With God, everything's possible. If you were here last night, I talked about, man, who have you given up on? Who have you given up on? Who have you given up on? 
I guarantee you there are times in my life people gave up on me. I am so glad my God did not. I am so glad my God did not. Scott, I remember a phone call one time at the Providence House. Now, this scares him. I worked for Scott. He was my boss. And the Providence House, the housing motel, whatever, for the seminary, had a telephone that rang 24 hours, seven days a week, and that was it. And we had the power. One morning, about 5 o'clock, the phone rings. It's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's coming to speak in chapel. And he stated, I will not state his name at the time, but he said, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so. I'm supposed to be in chapel this morning. My plane is fogged in. And I didn't let him say another word. I said, you want me to preach for you? <laughs> and he said, no, I want you to get a message to Landrum level. <laughs> and I said, I suspected that, but I thought I'd try. <laughs> you never know. He might have said, that's a good idea. With God, all things are possible. With him, I didn't have a chance. A guy called that thing one night about 9 o'clock, called that phone number, answered the phone at the Providence House. And he wanted to know how to be saved. Because, I mean, you call a Baptist seminary at 9 o'clock at night if you want to get saved. And we talked on the phone for almost an hour. And he told me all of the reasons that he could not be saved. He wanted to know Christ, but he was convinced he was too bad. He wanted to know how to go to heaven, but he thought it was impossible for him because he was too bad. And I chased that guy all over Scripture. I mean, all over Scripture. I probably told him things I didn't even know. But I chased that. We, we just chased Scripture, and the guy would cry, and then he'd get mad, and then we'd have a good conversation. And I just kept telling him, man, you have not outsend God's love because here's the reality if you think you have that makes you more powerful than God and you're just not he did not have to form a contingency plan for you when you came along he had a plan for your salvation since before the foundations of the earth it was his son Jesus Christ dying in your place on a cross to pay the price for your sins so that you could have a relationship with him. And after about an hour, this guy's on the phone. We, we'd read through the prodigal son and we talked about God running to him to forgive him and receive him. And this guy just crying and weeping and praying and trusting Christ on the phone. There's so many people that think they can't. They think they're beyond it. They don't think they deserve it. Humanly speaking, you're right, but with God, it's possible. There's other people that think, I'm that good person. I can handle it. I deserve it. No, there's only one who's good, and you're not him. This one passage just tears down so many crazy ideas about knowing God. It tears down so many foolish ideas about knowing Christ and a relationship with him. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? You can't do anything. It's humanly impossible. But with God, 
but with God, but with God, everything is possible. You can still get in. <laughs> you can still be known by a holy and sovereign God. What must you do? You must believe and you must rely on what Jesus has done when he died on that cross. In, in fancy terms, we talk about a substitutionary atonement. And I just know that's in everybody's lexicon. But, but that substitutionary death, Jesus died on the cross for me. When he died on that cross, it was personal for Mike Palmer. That's what I deserved. I love doing this with kids. When kids want to talk about being saved, I love using this illustration. And so far, I've not had anybody not had anybody mess up the illustration. If they have siblings, I'll say, do you have a younger sibling or an older sibling yet? Has there ever been a time in your life when you were doing things wrong and your mom or dad, what happens when you get in trouble? And you know, used to they'd say, I get a spanking. Now they get, you know, their iPad taken away or something. I'm not sure, but that, that's cool. That's fine. They cry over that. It's cool. That works. My son would have said, beat me, but let me keep this electronic device, please. You know, I, I get that. It's okay. But, uh, you know, whatever that punishment might be, has your brother or sister ever ran in at the last moment and said, no, 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 don't punish them, punish me instead? And every time they laugh, like, no. Those of you who have siblings, you know what you're doing. That's right, Mama, he did it. Bust them. Yes. About to see that one cry right there. This is awesome. You know, about to see some, some justified violence in this house. Because we just don't have a page in the book for somebody taking our place. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. What do I do? I have to rely on the substitution that Jesus was on that cross. He died for me. He died instead of me. And as we rely on that, then we trust what he says he will do. Wipe away every sin. Wash us clean. And one day, ultimately, wipe away every tear and take away every pain. We trust in what he's done. And we receive what he's done. If someone has done something in your place and for your benefit, you have to receive that. You have to accept that. You ha it's a gift, the Bible says. Anybody still got their Christmas presents under the tree? Well, why not? Because you tore into those things. Christmas presents under the tree in August are kind of... That's, that's, that's weird. That'd, that'd be weird if somebody's got that. But you receive the gift. You accept the gift. God has given you a gift. His name is Jesus. Jesus has given you a gift in that he took your place on that cross, the punishment for your sin. And he says, if we confess our sins to him. By the way, that word confess means that I agree with God. It doesn't mean you make a list of all the things you've ever done wrong, if you think you could do that, you're wrong. You couldn't. There's no way. 
we always think more of ourselves. We think better of ourselves. We can't remember all the things, and we don't even recognize some of the things we've done to offend God is wrong. But it means to agree with God. If I agree with God that I'm a sinner and I humble myself to that place and rely and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, we will be saved. We will enter into this relationship with Christ. And we will be given eternal life. Of my own merit, it's impossible. Of my own ability, it's impossible. In my own resources, it's impossible. Humanly speaking, impossible. With God, completely, totally, absolutely, 100% possible. We rely on Him. We trust in Him. We receive the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads. And close your eyes for just a moment if you would. I'm not the brightest candle on the cake. But I am not naive. There are too many people in this room. To believe. That everyone in this room has trusted Christ. I just don't buy that. There are people in this room tonight, whether you realize it or not, whether you realize it or not, the God of all creation has reached out to you tonight in his goodness, in his grace, and in his mercy, and he has showed you through the foolishness of preaching how to know him. And how to trust him. He has revealed to you. His grace. And his love. And he is giving you the opportunity. This evening to receive that. In just a moment. We're going to have an invitation. It's a time to respond publicly. To what. God is doing in your life what God has spoken to you if you're in this room tonight and you've never put your faith and your trust in Christ there are three men standing up here right now and I want to tell you something they've been praying for you I've been in the room when you've been prayed for Some of you in this room, your friends or your neighbors have prayed for you. Some of you in this room, your parents or your grandparents have prayed for you. Some of you in this room, your spouse has prayed for you. Every one of you in this room, Jesus died for. It's almost like you say, well, what do I have to do go, to go to hell? You forgot to refuse this gift. Hell was not created for your presence. Hell was created for Satan and his demons. You have to reject the love and the mercy and the grace of God and choose it for yourself. I believe some of the greatest judgment of hell will, knowing, will be knowing that you didn't have to be there. Man, 
man, I'm not so much about you being terrified of hell as I am wanting you to love Jesus and want you to receive this amazing gift of a relationship with the sovereign God of creation. I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to sing this song in Christ alone. It's just going to restate what I'm talking about. If you need to trust Christ as your Savior tonight, I'm going to ask you just to step out. If you're saying, man, I don't know if I understand all about this or not. That's why these folks are here. You're saying, well, I'm just not sure if I'm ready about this or not, ready for this or not. That, that, that's even why these folks are here. I'm not completely sure about this. He is. What he's asking you to do is take that step towards him and to receive him. Father, we're in your presence tonight. You're in our place tonight. I know that. I don't have to wonder that. I don't have to suspect that. We didn't have to conjure that. You've promised your presence. You inhabit the praise of your children, and your children have praised in this place tonight. And God, you, you promise your word never goes out without accomplishing its purposes. It doesn't just bounce back on you in some kind of dead echo. It accomplishes the purpose. God, I just pray for someone in this room tonight, that purpose is that they be saved today. God, this church is praying for revival that starts here and spreads to the Pine Belt. God, if you want to light that match tonight, we'll give you all praise. But we rise to worship you. We sing in your name and we praise those of us who know you. And God, I pray that those who don't will respond to your message of salvation and receive you as Lord and Savior. And I pray it in your name for your glory and for their benefit. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. Let's respond.